I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. MSW Media. Hey everybody, it's AG, and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from Days Gone By, and note the date in the intro. Refried beans, I like refried beans, that's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good and we're, we're wasting time. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. Today, Donald wanted his political enemies to be audited by the IRS. The Supreme Court says the January 6th committee can get Kelly Ward's phone records with two notable dissents. An oversight report reveals Donald violated the emoluments clause of the Constitution. Trump tries to claim that stealing documents makes them personal records. And a suspect is in custody in the UVA shooting. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hi, Dana. Welcome back. Thank you very much. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I missed you yesterday, but it's good to see your shining face on this wonderful Tuesday where, uh, you know, well, first of all, as we record this Monday evening, we have yet to get the giant dump of votes from Maricopa County. But I am going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go out on a limb and say by the time people listen to this podcast that Katie Hobbs will be declared the governor of Arizona. I'm going to agree with you and just Godspeed. Let's do this. <laughs> yes, please. Because as much as I would like to see Cicely Tyson play Carrie Lake for the next four years. Oh, my I God. Really so good. <laughs> she was so perfect. It's either her or Sharon Stone in the movie. I mean, Sharon Stone would always make a really good one. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. You're totally right. Thank you for that. Today, a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be talking with Steve Pearson, my buddy over at the How We Win podcast. We're going to do a victory lap for what we did when uh, all of you all helped us raise $230,000 for Democrats who needed it the most. And we're going to talk about the impact of that fundraising. And uh, uh, let's see, what else? I mean, I guess that's it. We just have a bunch of news to get to. So why don't we do that? Why don't we hit the hot notes? Hot notes. While in office, the former guy repeatedly told John Kelly, his second White House chief of staff, that he wanted a number of his perceived political enemies to be investigated by the Internal Revenue Service. And that's according to John Kelly. John Kelly, who was chief of staff from July 2017 through the end of 2018, said in response to questions from The New York Times that Mr. Trump's demands were part of a broader pattern of him trying to use the Justice Department and his authority as president against people who had been critical of him, including seeking to revoke the security clearances of former top intelligence officials. We remember that. Kelly said, that among those who Trump said we ought to investigate and get the IRS on were former FBI Director Jim Comey and his deputy Andrew McCabe 
His account of Mr. Trump's desires to use the IRS against his foes comes after the revelation by the Times this past summer, you remember this story, that Comey and McCabe had both been selected for rare and highly intrusive audits by tax agencies in the years after Kelly left the White House. Trump has said he knows nothing about the audits. The IRS has asked its inspector general to investigate, and officials have insisted the two men were selected randomly. (laughs) So this is a confirmation of our suspicions that Donald ordered these audits, which in any other world would be an impeachable offense. Yeah, it would. And speaking of the former guy, during his presidency, the governments of Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Turkey, China, and Malaysia spent hundreds of thousands of dollars at the Trump International Hotel in Washington at the same time that they were trying to influence the U.S. foreign policy, and that's according to investigative findings released Monday by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Hotel receipts that were obtained, they have the receipts by the Oversight Committee, show that then-Prime Minister of Malaysia and his delegation spent $259,000, over $259,000 at the hotel during one week's stay in September of 2017, including a $10,000 room and $1,500 personal trainer for embattled Prime Minister Najib Razak. And there's another almost $10,000 for coffee breaks. Yeah, this almost sounds like a Matt Gates Venmo situation, but I'm sure it's not. Now, at the time, Razak was unsuccessfully lobbying the Trump administration to drop an investigation into Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund. He had co-founded. Yeah, Dana, that was the one MDB with the Malaysian prime minister and yep. Jolo and Broidy and Pras Michelle, the founding member of the Fugees. And I mean, like absolutely bonkers, huge investigation. My God. Now, the Saudi Ministry of Defense, they spent over $85,000 during a one week stay in March of 2018, including renting several $10,500 suites. And that's according to the Oversight Committee. Now, the Saudi revenues for the Trump Hotel came during a period when Saudi Arabia and the UAE were lobbying the Trump administration to support them during their blockade against economic rival Qatar. Now, for their part, Qatari officials and connected companies spent at least $307,000 at the Trump Hotel from late 2017 through the mid-2018. That's again, according to the Oversight Committee. The hotel ledgers were released to the Oversight Committee by the Trump Organization's former accounting firm, Mazars USA, as part of the committee's ongoing investigation into the former guy's businesses and potential conflicts of interest. And there are a lot of them. Now, again, like you said on the first story, this would be another impeachable offense in every other galaxy, apparently, except ours. Yeah, he was playing uh, cutter against Saudi Arabia and the UAE and making money off of both of them. The Supreme Court has cleared the way for the House's January 6th Select Committee to obtain the phone records of Arizona GOP chairwoman Kelly Ward, a key ally during Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. The justices, with noted opposition from Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, on Monday denied Ward's emergency motion to block the panel from getting her stuff. The panel is seeking evidence related to Ward's coordination with Trump and his allies to assemble a slate of pro-Trump presidential electors, the fraudulent elector scheme intended to disrupt the transfer of power. Ward, who served as one of the pro-Trump electors, pleaded the fifth when interviewed by the panel in March. In the brief order issued late Monday morning, none of the justices offered any public rationale for their stance, nor did the court explain why it took three weeks to dispose of the emergency application, which was filed back on October 24th. The thing is, Justice Thomas says he would have ruled in favor of Kelly Ward, which is super fucked up, (laughs) given the fact that his wife, Ginny, 
was in communication with Arizona lawmakers ahead of the January 6th electoral vote certification. She was pushing for the fraudulent elector scheme. I think Thomas needs to be investigated. I 100 percent agree. And now this story is one of the most bonkers explanations that Donald has thus far of the classified materials. In a newly unveiled legal brief, the former guy, his lawyers are now claiming that the 11,000 federal documents at his Mar-a-Lago residence were classified as personal, an argument the feds simply aren't buying. And this is a quote. Thus, when he made a designation decision, he was president of the United States. His decision to retain certain records as personal is entitled to deference. And the records in question are thus presumptively personal, end quote. And that's from the brief. It went on to say President Trump need not put forth documentary evidence of his designation decisions because his conduct unequivocally confirmed that he was treating the materials in the question as personal records rather than presidential records. (laughs) Well, you know, when I rob a bank, I treat (laughs) the money as my own. So it's it's totally mine. Yeah, Totally legal. I mean, you decided to take it home to your residence and you get to decide. Now, in a separate brief, the Justice Department argued that Trump can't make that decree simply by saying so, just like you can't make a lot of decrees. Now, doing so, quote, would nullify the Presidential Records Act. The entire purpose by allowing a president to designate all of his official records as, quote, personal records and then to remove them upon departure from the White House. Trump has also claimed that his possession of the documents is shielded from public scrutiny under executive privilege. No, it's not. Now, last month, the Justice Department asked a federal appeals court to throw out Trump's legal challenge to the investigation altogether. Yeah. And so the funny part here is that he wants to claim executive privilege over personal documents, which isn't a thing. Right. They're either personal or they're presidential presidential records. Right. And uh, Andrew and I will go over those filings and briefings in detail on tomorrow's cleanup on aisle 45 (laughs) pod. And the likely outcome of what's going to happen I'd like to claim privilege over my personal diary. Okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, that just uh, for a point of clarification, that's not for the classified documents. That's just for the non-classified stuff. Uh, The classified documents, are they already won that battle with the 11th Circuit and the Supreme Court. So they are already using the classified documents in their criminal investigation. They want the rest of these. And, And there's a good reason, too, because we now know that one of the boxes that was taken out of some of the documents taken out of Trump's desk, some of those classified documents were commingled with personal documents and uh, communications from after he went after he left the White House. So that means that shows proof, possessory proof, and that he could have been using them, you know, improperly. Also, Dana, this is I'm fucking getting so sick and tired of this. Three football players were killed and two more people were injured following a shooting at the University of Virginia on late Sunday night. Campus police and university president Jim Ryan confirmed this Monday morning. Police say the suspect, who I'm not going to name, was apprehended on Monday morning after the manhunt that lasted more than 12 hours and involved multiple law enforcement agencies. The shooting occurred around 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on a charter bus full of students returning from a field trip to see a play. Jesus. Police say three victims, who are all juniors and members of UVA's football team, were found dead on the scene. Devin Chandler, a wide receiver from Virginia Beach. Lavelle Davis, a wide receiver from Dorchester, South Carolina. And Deshaun Perry, a linebacker from Miami. I'm sending out love and everything I can to the victims and their families. And we're also doing everything we can to back candidates who support common sense gun legislation. Absolutely. And we'll be right back with the host of the How We Win pod, Steve Pearson, to talk about that effort. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Moji Alawode-L. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast dedicated to keeping you informed while making you laugh as we all navigate this post-Roe v. Wade hellscape. 
The Supreme Court has declared that all of our uteri are just Airbnbs for the seat of the patriarchy. So every week we break down all the garbage news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with the abortion providers and activists we need to be hearing from right now. Plus, we talk to your favorite comedians. Because face it, if your revolution doesn't have laughter, you're doing it wrong. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your podcasts. Listen, subscribe, join us on Patreon. Because when BS is popping, we pop off. Hey, everybody, welcome back. I am proud and honored to be joined today by my friend, the host of the How We Win podcast. And no, it's not How We Win. It's Steve Pearson. Hi, how are you, Steve? You can call me Howie if you want, but uh, yes, the show is How We Win, and the honor is all mine, of course, Allison. Great to see you. So tell me how we won. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for a victory lap because, it, you know, as, as, a, as mm-hmm. the listeners know, we set up a fund called the How We Win Fund, and it was a data-driven fund where 100% of the proceeds went to the candidates who needed it the most in close races. And uh, I'd like to know for listeners how we did, what their money did. Yeah, uh, we did amazing things. And I, I'm i blown away. I, I just want to thank all of your listeners, everyone who donated. I want to thank you personally for the work you did on this fund. Uh, it's remarkable. I had, you know, sort of my silent hope was that we would uh, raise $100,000. That was my kind of goal that I was afraid to say out loud. Um, and we raised nearly $230,000 in this fund. It's just remarkable. And, uh, and it made a huge difference. I'll tell you, you asked how we win. And, and you know, I joke about this, but uh, the bottom line is we win when we all get involved. And and that's why I've been feeling uh, good about this election for a long time is because I don't really like to pay attention to polls. I don't like to pay attention to the noise about a so-called red wave. I pay attention to the volunteer enthusiasm and what's going on in the actual campaigns, who's showing up, who's donating money and and how that's going. And because I know that no matter what the polls do, all of these races are you know painfully close. But the exciting thing about that is we really have the opportunity. We have the agency to make change. We have the ability to um, to win these elections if we just pitch in, make phone calls, knock on doors and and donate what we can. And, and that's exactly what we've did. So that's how we win. That's how we'll continue to win. And I I hope people are really inspired. It's you know, we, we like a blowout. Sure. But I hope they're inspired by how close these races are, because. If you worked on one of these races, if you made phone calls on one of these races or knocked on some doors, this is on you. You you made this happen. Uh, you really made a difference. So to your listeners, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's I love the victory lap. We should we should be doing it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. And we should feel good because we have voted for democracy in the last three elections. And I know that, you know, Trump did technically win the Electoral College in 2016, but, you know, we still beat him by almost three million votes. And and the, I think the voters have spoken loud and clear. And, you know, my I predicted that we would pick up a couple of House seats, pick up a few Senate seats. I'm a little off on my prediction so far. The House is still in contention. Yeah. Uh, the window, I think, is getting narrower for, for, for Dems to hold the House, but that it's even close is super impressive. And is a win in my book. 
And not only that, but we flipped state houses. We picked up some governorships. This is the best first party midterm election in decades and decades. And it, it all has to do with the people who got involved. And, you know, my projection that we would we would hold the House and the Senate was based on sort of that anecdotal case study type of situation where, you know, where you're taking the temperature of the people on the ground right. and all the work that people did. And I personally am headed up to Riverside in a couple of days to help cure ballots for the, the California 41 race. Mm-hmm. And I encourage everyone, if you're in a, near a place where, where they need ballots cured and they need canvassers to help with that, that can help. And every vote counts and every vote matters. And I think we've proven that time and again. So let's talk a little bit about which races the How We Win Fund helped win because we have an actual project. We have like an like a, a really good record here. Yeah. Um, if I may, I do want to just double down on what you just said a little bit, too, because um, we have been woefully behind. We really dropped the ball as Democrats on state houses over the last few decades, really. And this election, as you said, was huge for that, too. We really looked at everything we could do and looked locally, too. And what we did in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and pushing back in Maryland, pushing back against the supermajority in Wisconsin. You know, uh, it's really amazing. The uh, governor races, the gubernatorial races. Secretary of state races. If, If we now have secured the secretary of state in all the swing states, to non-election deniers, to you know, reasonable people, and that that is also huge. And with Crucial. the state houses, with the state houses, you know, the Supreme Court is hearing a case called Moore v. Harper, which could throw the decision to put forth electors to state legislatures, and that we were able to secure so many state legislatures, or at least flip one house in many cases, means that that opportunity will not be presenting itself probably as often as it would have had we lost those state houses. So. This was a this was a win for democracy. The, the Democrats may not retain control of the House, but democracy wins for sure. And and we still have a, you know, a really good, still solid path to taking the House. Although, you know, I've been saying all along it would come down to one or two seats. And uh, that's exactly what it's going to come down to. You mentioned ballot curing. Really important. These campaigns need volunteers. In uh, Arizona and Colorado specifically right now, there's some crucial races that are very, very tight. Some of them are on our How We Win Fund, and and you've been supporting them. And uh, those, I believe we have three days uh, to ballot cure there. I'm not sure if this is coming out tomorrow or whatever, but. Yeah, there's a ton of them in the in the Boebert election, which, you know, she was losing up until a point and then and then uh, went ahead a little bit. I think she's up by like 2000 votes now. But, you know, there's a ton of ballots to be cured there uh, in the third district in Colorado. And we, we definitely need volunteers. So if you're up there and you're listening, find out. I think mobilize.us has information and yep. you can just Google it and find it. And, and we need to get out there, get every vote, get every vote counted. And then California's pivotal, as we know, and it's going to it's painfully slow for us to count votes here in California. We have till the 28th on that. So there's a little bit more time. But, you know. Don't delay for that. We, we do need to make sure every vote is counted. And um, so you, you mentioned our fund, your initial question, and I wanted to digress. I wanted to do one more little victory lap. But um, what was so great about the fund is that it, it spread out the money to the candidates that were you know, needing it the most. So a lot of different candidates kind of came in and out of our fund, depending on where the greatest strategic need was. I really was proud to be working with Swing Left on this because... Um, 
their political targeting is excellent and uh, and they put together really great funds like this. And it did really well. You know, I kind of want to do a full once the results are all in, there's still some pending races, but um, but I believe we won about 70% of the races that we were playing in, uh, the sandbox we were playing in. So it's amazing. And uh, again, I just want to say thank you to, to all your listeners. I mean, you should feel really, really good about what you've done in this election. The other thing that I want to mention uh, as I'm thanking people is I want to thank young voters too, mm, uh, yeah, because- definitely. We, we have on our show, as you know, we always every week talk about what brings us hope. And most of the guests, when we ask them the question, says the young people and uh, almost where it's a cliche, but it's really true. These young Gen Z voters showed up and voted overwhelmingly Democrat. And I am so grateful to them. I'm also grateful to all of us. Let's just say not Gen Z voters, slightly older voters who supported them. Because what would have happened to those voters, those young voters voting for their very first time, if we had fallen short here, if we hadn't been able to support them and win? Would they show up? Would they be despondent? Would they, you know, feel disenfranchised from this whole process? But now we have such a fierce, progressive, diverse, young coalition that is terrifying the Republicans so much that they're considering raising, trying to raise the voting age to 21. <laughs> and it's because they're dying off. We're getting stronger and younger and, and more diverse and uh, looking like the country that we live in and that we love. And uh, I just have so much hope because of those young voters. So, yeah. And um, I remember when and I always tell this story. I know the listeners are probably sick of it. But when uh, right after the 2016 election, when everyone was just totally despondent and disillusioned and Obama went on a podcast and they asked him, you're the hope guy. Give us some hope. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and he talked about the young people. He talked about kids who in the next four and eight to eight years would be becoming voting age, would be turning 18. And he said that the, the youth of this nation will wash across the country like a wave of hope and change. And that is where he found hope. And that is where a lot of us found hope. And I think that's why a lot of your listeners, when you asked what, what gives them hope, answered in, in the same mm -hmm. way. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I want to encourage, you know, more young voters that will be coming of age in the next two or four years. And also to, to understand that one election doesn't change, make. Right. It, is a, it is a a lifelong sport. <laughs> and uh, and and you, you got to stay in the game. Uh, and I hope that uh, I hope that no one gets frustrated with the slow pace yeah. of, of incremental change in this country. We need to see big monumental change. But, you know, it's not coming in the next two years. We, we have too close. The margins are too close. And I just don't want people to get discouraged by that and to understand that it's the next, you know, two, three, four elections before you can start seeing the majorities that I believe we will get yeah. to make the to expand the Supreme Court yep. uh, and to 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 pass the Equal Rights Amendment and all all of that stuff. It's going to it's going to take time. I just I just want everybody. And I apologize. Us old folks <laughs> set the government up that way, <laughs> you know, going back to the founding fathers, it, it was set up that way to protect a lot of, of the institutions and, and democracy. And, you know, I think that 
a lot of the autocrats and dictators around the world and the thing that makes fascism and autocracy so attractive is that it's, you get quick results. They're just not good ones. Yeah. Great point. And we have to sort of push back at the idea, which which is what President Biden has been doing and our Democratic leaders have been doing, that democracy can work. It is slow going, a lot like justice. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hope that there's not any discouragement I, you in, know, in that arena. But I don't see it. I think that I don't these, see it I either. Think, Gen Z is resilient. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have they've been through so much. You think about this generation of kids and how they've grown up. I mean, they've grown up with the existential threat of climate change. It's such a visceral issue for them that they've really been living in the middle of. They've grown up knowing somebody or been involved in a school shooting or in active shooter drills and their schools, their, their whole lives. Then they went to school during a global pandemic and, and had to deal with, with all of that. And they've walked through all of that. They've never known a, a time in their lives when there hasn't been war in the Middle East and, and, and the conflicts that we have. They, and just as they're coming of age, they lose their ability to choose uh, and have their bodily autonomy and, and potentially who they want to love. And that's uh, right. access to contraception and, and just privacy in general. Yeah, exactly. They they've been through a lot already in their lives and they've proven themselves to be resilient and to step up. And I don't think that this is a uh, group of kids that is going to get discouraged and back down. Not like uh, my Gen X generation. Sorry. Right. (laughs) I think now that they know what they can do and the impact that they can have. It's like it's like seeing results from a, a weight loss program. You know, you get you get really excited about it and you want to keep going. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. One of the most, if not the most resilient generations uh, in recent memory. Honestly, honestly. Yeah. So any any particular race you're uh, very proud of uh, that we that we were able to capture? I know Fetterman. I know I know our how we win fund gave to Fetterman. And, and that oh, for yeah. me, when they called Fetterman, that's when that's when the tears started coming. Like, we're going to do this. We're actually going to do this. That was a huge, huge call, you know, because I thought we would hold on to the Senate. I really did. I felt like we would pick up a seat, uh, maybe two. I was hoping for two. But when the Fetterman call came in, I, I yeah, that I got choked up. I'm wearing my uh, Senate hoodie right now, um, actually, for this interview in solidarity. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, he was such a great candidate. I mean, what a grassroots story for him, too, because he uh, was not the candidate that, um, you know, a lot of will say, well, I hate calling Dems established Dems. I hate saying that, but We'll just say that for the sake of this conversation that a lot of establishment Dems wanted in that race. And um, and he won in the primary. Uh, he's uh, just a spectacular, fresh kind of, uh, you know, candidate and uh, now senator. And, you know, he's going to put pressure. Look, we got to get the seat in Georgia, too. Like I'm uh, and I, I really, really, really want the House as well. I'm I'm not one of those that likes to celebrate because I want it all. I'm very greedy that way. But um, but, you know, if we have uh, that extra seat, if we can all come together, like I know that we will and I know all your listeners will in Georgia and we're going to really be able to put a lot of pressure on both Cinnamon and Manchin. I know we won't have those two extra seats, but there are things in the Build Back Better agenda that Manchin didn't like that Cinema was OK with. There were things that cinema didn't like that Manchin was okay with. 
and and having uh, yeah, and they can't form an alliance now to to you know get shit done if we get that fifty first seat. And yeah. and, it, and it's also very important that we wouldn't have to grovel with you know kowtow to Mitch McConnell to put a power sharing agreement together like we had to do in twenty twenty with a fifty fifty Senate, which means we also have now majority in the operational Senate committees, which means we could still continue to investigate January 6th in the Senate. And, Go uh, on. Yes. <laughs> and we would have subpoena power. So, yeah. you know, it might Trump might not be off the hook quite yet, thinking that he could sue his way out of having to talk to the January 6th committee in the House. If, uh, if we get the 51st seat, we can subpoena him in the Senate. To come and answer some questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's a, a million reasons to um, to work and it hard will be on blue that. Blue in 2024, because the 2024 Senate map is not as friendly as the 2022 Senate map for Democrats. So we very need much that so. blue seat. Very yeah. much so. And also, like, just not letting Herschel Walker go to the Senate should be reason enough. I mean, it's insane <laughs> that that many people yeah. voted for this guy. But like, yeah, you know. and not to, not to gloss over the fact that Senator Raphael Warnock is an incredibly important voice and an incredibly wonderful senator and and lawmaker. So I mean, there's that's the baseline. That's a given, right? All these <laughs> extra things I'm talking about are on top of that, and how much we need him in the Senate. Oh my God, they could not be more different. I just I don't. It's baffling that Herschel Walker is a Senate candidate to me. Still, I I just that that many people voted for him, and as you said, you know. Senator Warnock is not just like a senator. He's really one of the stars of our party. He is a spectacular human and an effective senator and legislator and an amazing speaker, as you all know. And you've got, I don't know, I'm, I'll, I'll keep it clean, keep it nice. Well, but you've got the other guy. <laughs> yeah. I, but, I mean, the Republicans, are, you're going to see a lot more of this. They're going to, to find token candidates like they tried with Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, for example, uh, Herschel Walker, who has some name recognition and, and people who don't watch the debates and aren't really informed will just go, oh, I like that guy when he played football and right. and tick, tick his name. And they'll do this so that they can say, see, we're not racist. See, we're not transphobic. See, right. we're not this. See, we're, we we have women. We have transgender people. We have black people. We we're not you. We're not we're not the Nazis that you think we are, you know, even though our stage at CPAC was shaped like a giant Nazi symbol. But that is what we're going to see a lot more of that. That was just a coincidence. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Kawinky dink. Just a kawinky dink. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And thanks so much for working with me on the How We Win Fund because we did it. We won. And I, you know, I know it's maybe people are like, oh, it's a little early to say that. No, I think with what has come in so far, I can I can say overwhelmingly with confidence yeah. that we won this election, even though we've lost some of the some of the battles we won the war and absolutely also as far as it goes with the house i'm still hopeful you know um i you know we may yet be able to take the house with the races have been surprising there's there was a couple of key races that i really thought we needed to win to hold on to the house that doesn't look like we'll win but there was a couple of surprises that i wasn't expecting at all exactly yeah (laughs) exactly those two specifically so so we're but even if we don't end up with the majority and the Republicans have like a one or two seat majority, we could actually get some work done. We could still pass legislation in that scenario. 
they're going to have a lot of uh, a lot of trouble. And then we're like one indictment or retirement away from uh, gaining the majority again. So, uh, you know, one of these Republicans is bound to do something really fucking stupid and get indicted like soon. And then we have the majority back. So um, whatever shakes out, we're in, you know, uh, a, a way better place than we thought we would be. And um I'm just grateful to everyone. So and and to you, especially, Allison. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And the Republicans, if they do get the House, which I hope they don't. But if they do, they're going to have a real hard time. It's going to be a bloodbath. And I'm here for it. So I'm here for the you. schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah. I showed yeah, up for, for the, the chips and the schadenfreude. As Stephanie Miller says, the bag of rats. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> All going after each other. Thank you so much. Everybody check out the How We Win pod and uh, follow Steve Pearson on the socials. I appreciate your time today, my friend. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, Halloween photos, find the cat, what the mutt, misheard song lyrics, a shout out to somebody you love, a shout out to your business, tell us what you're making or creating, anything you want to send us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, I'm going to start us off with a submission from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. I haven't deactivated my Twitter, but I've been spending time on Reddit for the first time and was bummed to find out that r slash leguminati is actually a couple dozen people writing about actual beans. (laughs) 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 How about creating a subreddit, I think it's called. I do enjoy the Discord server for patrons as well. My good news is this is after getting laid off a few months ago, I got a new job. During my job search, my partner and I started listening to your podcast more regularly and I became a patron of Daily Beans and Cleanup. We continue to listen to your podcast in the evening. I've mostly given my up my watching mainstream media, except for the occasional Rachel fix. Same girl, same. Please remind the other listeners that postcarding for Warnock has already started. In lieu of pet tax, I attach one of my postcards. Look at this. Thank you. Vote to keep Senator Warnock working for you. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for postcarding. Absolutely. All right. This is from Anonymous. Pronouns she and her. Hi, AGDG and all the beans. First, let's start with bringing someone with you. I kept reminding my sister who lives in Wisconsin to vote and got her to bring a coworker with her. A two for one. Woohoo. I have a shit kid say moment. A month or so ago, I asked my almost three-year-old son what he wants to be for Halloween. He kept saying what I heard is cylinder. And I was just about to buy memory foam and make him into a cylinder. And then I thought, why don't I ask Instagram folks if they can translate it for me? Someone figured it out. He was saying skeleton. Now, amazing, adorable, attaches my Halloween costume tax of him as a skeleton and six months old sister as a pineapple. Thanks again for everything as always. Oh my God. There, he's so cute. And look at this pineapple. Wait. Yeah. I was going to say. The baby photo for you, Dana. Look at the pineapple. Oh, my goodness. So much adorable. The cuteness is weirding me out. It's Look so cute. Look at those perfect lips. I know. And the little green stockies and the feet and the toes right. are inside. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. I love these Halloween photos. Please keep sending those in. Next up from Julie, pronoun she and her. Hi, I think you should consider changing the tagline to news with swearing and giggling. I still laugh when I think of Dana losing it over accidentally saying Patron a few weeks ago. Patron. It was very French for Patron. (laughs) I want to share something sort of like a misheard lyric. Whenever I hear your ditty after these messages, we'll be right back. 
I swear it's Steve Kornacki's voice. Is it? If not, listen to it and let me know what you think. Anyway, thank you for the wit, sarcasm, and the kindness. But most of all, thank you for unfailing optimism when most other outlets chose bleakness. Turns out you were right. I've been a loyal listener since my husband told me he found a great news podcast last year. Looks like he was right, too. For my pet tax, I'm happy to share our Bengal cat talk, uh, taking herself way too seriously as usual. As my 14-year-old would say, lighten up, girly, you're sitting on a pizza box. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a beautiful cat. And um, Julia, with regards to that tag, after these messages, we'll be right back. That is from Saturday Morning Cartoons in the 80s. Yep, so, I remember that. I don't think it's Steve Kornacki, but it does sound a lot like him. I went back and listened, and you're right. There you go. And this is not from Kornacki, but it's from Corny Cole. Look at what I did there, pronouns nice. she and her. <laughs> Here's Democracy Queens. First, just going to put it out there. AG and DG are my new besties. How is it possible that I enjoy podcast hosts looking at puppy pictures and describing all the feels? I mean, come on. Nextly, I want to chime in about the Twitter shit show. I run a social justice Twitter feed that's connected to a social justice podcast. We talk about things like justice, injustice, racism, redemption, grace, and such. If you get a chance to talk to Mr. Musk, can you please ask him why, overnight, I have a bunch of naked titty ladies following us now, as evidenced by the attached screenshot? Unless, oh, thank you for the screenshot in advance. I haven't even scrolled. (laughs) Unless these are actual titties for justice, I think the Twitter might be broken. (laughs) Twitter titties for justice oh my god someone needs to get the handle Twitter titties for justice immediately (laughs) and finally most importantly I have two pooches Bitsy Boom McGrew Cole and Agnes of God Cole okay (laughs) Bitsy's a 13 year old badass mama jamma alpha dog that doesn't take shit from her younger sister Aggie Agnes the black one is 8 years old puppy (laughs) she's literally the funniest dog I've ever met all this to say that I believe Bitsy is AG's canine equivalent and Aggie is definitely DG's canine equivalent. Keep up the good work and thanks so, <laughs> so much for saving democracy. My brother, whom I love, but is a bit of an asshole, says that Bitsy's more of a K3 or a K4 because she doesn't fully qualify as a dog. <laughs> I mean, you definitely have some uh, attractive um, purchased uh, <laughs> silicone purchased ladies. Titties for justice. Following Twitter you and an adorable dog. Oh my God. So okay. I'm Bitsy, the 13-year-old uh, badass me, is this me with pajama. The, I'm, am I the pink mohawk dog with the with the flight goggles? <laughs> uh, no, that's that's me because you're Aggie, the black one. The oh, right. Puppy. I'm the goofy one. with. Okay. This is totally accurate, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got the tattoos. You've got the edge. And I'm like, what are we doing? <laughs> Look at this dog. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, yeah you she got it right she called it out you sure did that's fantastic all right (laughs) finally from a cheese head pronouns he and him hi beans queens mostly good news despite ron johnson keeping his senate seat when i went to vote on election day i arrived at 7 a.m when the polls opened the church where my polling place is located is located had a parking lot so full a person could have thought it was sunday morning i waited in line for longer than i ever have in my life even 2020 and this was just the midterms Here's hoping this energy continues two years from now. So more good news, besides actually having to wait during a midterm and thus a huge crowd caring enough to vote, I was one of only a handful of white guys in the line, which is it's Wisconsin, so pleasant surprise. The people showing up were predominantly women and a good 60 or 70 percent were from BIPOC populations. Whether it was this little old lady hunched over her walker to one side of me or the college-aged young woman on the other, 
The thing I could hear on almost everyone's lips was that the GOP had fucked with the wrong people by coming for Roe. The Republicans may have us gerrymandered to death. They may have kept Russia Ron's Senate seat, but we managed to keep the governor and the attorney general. So here's hoping that Evers can do what he set out in the midterms began, and that's to be able to find a way to get rid of the 1849 abortion law. The, oh, sorry, the eight, I was like, 1849 abortion laws? That's a lot no. of abortion laws. The year 1849 abortion laws we now live under. And that he continues to work for marginalized communities to fight climate change and to try to provide even meager protections to K-12 through education and higher education. We lost most of the battles, but looking at that line of first-time voters to the elderly who couldn't use the now illegal drop boxes, all united in common cause, made me think of a line from the science fiction show Babylon 5. Quote, no dictator, no invader can hold an imprisoned population by force of arms forever. There is no greater power in the universe than the need for freedom. Against that power, governments and tyrants and armies cannot stand. The Centauri learned this lesson once. We will teach it to them again. Though it takes a thousand years, we will be free, unquote. Despite the violence we've seen the last few years, especially, and despite the attempts to take away women's rights to their bodies, despite attempts to disenfranchise historically oppressed communities, despite endless propaganda and super PAC dark money demonizing anyone left of Pinochet, the energy from that quote is the energy that line brimmed with on election day. In that line to vote, it was clear that women weren't going to meekly surrender control of their bodily and financial autonomy. LGBTQ plus folks were not going to be forced back into the closet. And women of color old enough to have marched as young women in the 60s were not going to let anyone try to tell them they weren't full persons ever again. Thanks for all you do. These are the days that Dana and AG are seemingly the only sliver of hope in an otherwise endless cycle of news that grinds people down. Wow. Thank you so much for that post, Mr. Cheesehead from Wisconsin. Indeed. And I just want to say, for those of you that are in Wisconsin, there is a Supreme Court justice election on April 4th of 2023. If you guys can get a Democrat, and I know they're supposed to be nonpartisan, blah, blah, blah. But if you can get that Supreme Court seat, you can un-gerrymander the state of Wisconsin. This is a huge election. So please keep your eyes and ears open. It's going to happen on April 4th. That's the day you're going to be able to vote. We're going to see what happens up until then. But there is someone resigning, not resigning, retiring. One of the um, the Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly, I think, uh, is retiring. If, if, that's, if that's that's right. One of your guys is retiring. So. Yeah. Kelly lost yeah. the seat in 2020 election on September 2022, announced his candidacy for the 20... Oh, he's running again. So we got to get that Supreme Court seat on gerrymander Wisconsin, and they'll never, the Republicans will never win an election again. Yeah. And so that one election can change all future elections. So, yep, unbelievable. Get out, get out and vote. And I know Cheesehead's going to do everything he can. Dana, this has been a great show, and I'm still looking to see if there's any update on the uh, Maricopa County, but that's it's not coming, probably not for another hour and a half. But I do have real good vibes, and I think that we're going to know by the time this uh, episode is released that that Katie Hobbs is going to be the governor of Arizona. So uh, I, do you ha- before we get out of here, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Just quick uh, note, I was in um, Chicago on Saturday when we got the Senate and I got to announce it from the stage, but we also raised about $22,000 that night that's going to go down to Warnock to help with the runoff. And I've got another gala in Boston on Saturday. We're going to be doing the same thing. So this, the human rights campaign is going to send a bunch of money to get boots on the ground, knocking on doors, get commercials up so people know when and where to vote. Because this seat in Georgia, if you're listening and you know this, this is a six-year seat. That means that seat will be safe until the next 
not this coming presidential election, the next one, which means we have a better chance of keeping the Senate majority if we can get Warnock elected now. Just remember that. Yep. And 51, 51 Senate seats, as, as listeners know, and I've been, I've been saying this all weekend as loud as I can, means we don't have to dick with Mitch McConnell for a couple months to come up with a power sharing agreement in the committees. It means we will have the power, full power in the committees, including the subpoena power. So even though Trump is suing to not have to, you know, testify to the January 6th committee, the Senate with with Warnock could subpoena him. So let's do it. Let's make sure it happens. There's some good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks, AG, for the final thoughts on your end. Yes. And everybody, I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Dana, you're going to be out until Friday, but please travel safe. And and I hope you have a wonderful time uh, traveling. And everybody, I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. Take everyone you know with you. <laughs> I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the refried beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>